You know the sort of. You know who's really good friends with Paul Rudd? Chris Farley. <laughs> <laughs> and welcome to the Down and Front Podcast, the official podcast of downandfrontpodcast.com. My name is Warren. I am your beautiful host. And with me, I have a bunch of my best friends. And we are here to review Black Panther. How's it going, everybody? Hey. Hey. One of the largest groups we've had in a long time. We're super excited. I'm pumped to be back in Massachusetts actually doing a recording. It feels like it's been forever since I've actually been here. Um, But let's do a a bit of a roundtable. And I'm going to start with the man, the mouth, of the South, Senor Brailundo. How's it going, man? Hey, how's it going? Hello from California. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you're way over there. It's like two o'clock in the morning, right? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Or it's it's so Thursday. Bad. Who knows? <laughs> uh, what you watching? What you drinking? Uh, right now, my roommate Ian, he's got a handle of Jim Beam in the freezer, so I snagged me some. So I'm sipping on. Probably a very heavy pour of Jim Beam right now. <laughs> For all you that can't see, that's a full glass of Jim Beam that he just showed. So this is going to be fun. <laughs> this is going to be a good podcast. Absolutely. Uh, what I've been watching recently is I've uh, been watching some documentaries recently. I watched Akaris, which is the documentary on the Russian doping, doping scandal for the Olympics. Uh, and it was a really interesting uh, documentary because... It actually doesn't start as an investi- hardcore investigation of that. It actually starts off by this guy kind of supersizing the um, uh, Lance Armstrong's doping treatment and how he got around it. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of like tumbles into it. So it's really cool to see how that all uh, plays out. Brandon, now that you know that from Lance Armstrong, check out Joe Rogan's podcast. He did an interview with Lance Armstrong that's about three hours long, that goes really, really deep into how it happened and his life after it. It's phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal. It's about three hours long, though, but it's really, really, really good. Um, yeah. He went really- why he did it, how he did it, like how, like how he was feeling while it was happening and how he was almost like feeling that he was on like lying to himself was enough because he was doing good and like good to the world and it's super interesting that interview you should you should now that you watch that you should see uh, listen to it yeah i love joe years. rogan so i'll definitely uh seek that out yeah but uh yeah the other documentary i was watching is called alpha go which is about the artificial intelligence that actually beat one of the best uh go players in the world in south korea and it is crazy if you watch this. Like, if you want to see how far artificial intelligence has come, watch this documentary because it'll blow your mind and you're just going to be like, how does this machine know to do this stuff? Like, it actually makes professional Go players actually think about the game totally differently after it plays uh, different um after it plays different moves and because they're moves they've never seen in go before. And it just is mind blowing just to see. And it's really interesting to see how they actually taught it, how to play go and how it actually becomes so smart and brings up these different new strategies that actually changes the game of this thousand year old game that people have been playing forever and actually open their eyes to something new. So it's definitely worth watching. It's amazing. 
Nice. I'm excited to check some of that um, stuff out here. Uh, and of course, thank you. Uh, I'm excited to get your uh, opinion on this movie because I think a lot of people have a lot of awesome, awesome thoughts um, for that. Yeah. And both those documentaries are available on Netflix. Netflix, nice. Netflix is killing it right now, especially around one of our last reviews that we did and talked about Netflix. That's pretty cool. I'm tossing it way over back to the East Coast. One of the most handsome, arguably, this may be a hot take, but most attractive uh, Hispanic I know, uh, Mocha. How's it going, man? I thought you were going to say me. <laughs> hey, guys. How's it going? Thanks so much for that accolade. I've never felt prettier than I do right now. <laughs> it's I'm good glad. to see you all. Yeah. It's good to see you all here today, especially all these faces. We haven't had a podcast this full since uh, our last major Spider or Marvel recording, which was Spider Man Homecoming. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to see everybody here again. Oh, what you been watching? What you drinking? So as for what I've been watching, I spent this past week hanging out with my four and five year old niece and nephew, um, or rather nephew and niece respectively. Which was great, um, but as a result, I did have to sort of like fall in line with what they wanted to watch. So I watched the films, the animated films, Rio one and two, for the first time. Um, they were pretty delightful. Uh, they played nothing but one song on repeat for an entire four-hour drive from Alexandria, Virginia, to uh, Brooklyn, New York. So that song's been stuck in my head for a bit. But it was a pretty fun animated movie. Um, as for what I've been drinking. I'm glad to be back home, away from four and five years old, year olds, so I can drink some beer again. And tonight I'm drinking a little Modelo Especial. Uh, for those of you at home who can't see, this is the closest thing I can get to a can that had some sort of large uh, African cat on it. It's two lions, no panthers, but uh, it'll do. So uh, cheers, everybody. Cheers. You're not taking shots this time, so it's good. Who's taking No, anything? no. I'm getting my life under control. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, it's great to have you, and uh, thanks for hanging out with us. And I'm excited to see whatever song... Because you're going to perform it later on tonight, right? Yep, me and Fergie doing a duet. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get my reaction ready. Love it. Uh, and I've tossed it over to one of my best friends in the world. We literally grew up together. Somehow we babysat each other at the same time. Strange. Uh, Mike the Shredder blew it. How's it going, man? I remember those days. They, they were mostly good. Uh, we grew a lot, though. Uh, I'm doing really good. Um, in fact, I found a new show that I'm enamored with. Uh, in fact, I was genuinely disappointed when I ran out of episodes. And of course, I'm talking about Queer Eye. Um, they brought back Queer Eye for the Straight Guy as a more like 21st millennial edition. And it is amazing. Like, I never watched the original run of it, and I feel so empowered. Like, watching the watching them give... Advice. I feel like a lot of the times uh, dudes don't get encouraged to, like, break out of a shell, dress nice, like, clean themselves up a little bit, like, that sort of thing. And I legit went out and, like, got pants and shirts and new shoes the day after seeing that. Because I was like, damn right, I deserve to look good. It, it was a weird <laughs> thing. It was a weird thing. But, like... It's very, it's awesome. Um, one thing, I, without really spoiling too much, um, they they are based in Atlanta, and so they have, um, let's say, some interesting guests. They have, like, a Trump-supporting cop. Um, they have, like, a right-winger uh, firefighter. They have a dude who's coming out. Like, his big thing is he wants to come out to his stepmom. Um, they have, like, these really cool stories that, like, 
they take time away from making them dress nicer to really address like these big social issues. And I feel like that ties in well with what we're about to be talking about in, you know, 40 or 60 minutes before we get through the rest of the people. As far as what I'm sucking down right now, uh, it is a good to know IPA, uh, which is a Sierra Nevada type beer. Um, eventually you're going to hear a crack of a can and that will be a good old Bud Light just to wash out, you know, wash down a good IPA. Do they have CeeLo in it? Uh, uh, the gold man, it does not make an appearance. Damn. I wish. I wish. They do have Outcast. That's a lie. What? No, I I just said that's a lie. That's a lie. Not watching the show at all. Outcast does not come into it. (laughs) They don't have Outcast or CeeLo, so the show is trash and I shouldn't watch it. You're telling me. Well, what about Donald Glover? Oh, damn. All right. He's, he's also not in it. So it's <laughs> <laughs> Because all those guys we mentioned know how to dress themselves. Oh, that's yeah. the <laughs> well, so that's the funniest part. My, my girlfriend looks over at me, uh, Caroline, friend of the show, uh, and she looks at me in the face and she goes, why did you cut your hair? And I'm mm-hmm. like, what? She's like, you would have been a shoe in for this show if you still had that stupid beard and that stupid haircut. <laughs> and I looked at her, I'm like, you know what? You're not wrong. <laughs> not wrong. I wear well, a lot of cargo pants. Like, do you still wear cargo pants? Or are they like no, J. Those, Crew? Those have, been, uh, those have been closeted because of the solid pants additions that I've got recently. As of oh, yeah. I got real pants. The best choice of work. Yeah. <laughs> I may have to fly back to Boston to see this. Uh, blue it dressed up. I think it's very nice. Oh, it looks very nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, of course, it's always uh, great to see your face, Blue. Now that you're uh, the new and improved Blue 2.0, it's more point. It's a 1.1. Blue, blue, blue is a blue point <laughs> So great to have you. I'm going to toss it to some of the peeps that's in here. We have a couple of newbies. By newbies, I mean that this guy. You hear his voice literally everywhere. I mean, he, I, I hear him asleep. Somehow he's in my closet sometimes. Uh, somehow he's there when I'm showering. Uh, Abbott, how's it going, man? It's good to see you. It's good. It's good to see you because we've pretty much been talking constantly playing Monster Hunter recently. Uh, Arguably an average of five and a half hours a day. Hours and hours of that. One day we did play 12 hours straight and realized I had forgotten Don't tell them that. It's fine. It's fine. It happens. I mean, we're killing monsters for the greater good. We're protecting the citizens of birds from these monsters. <laughs> Uh, yeah, as far as what I've been watching is a lot of that, uh, watching uh, strategy Monster Hunter videos on YouTube. Uh, but also I finished Altered Carbon recently on YouTube. I uh, was a big fan of that. Uh, thought it was really good sci-fi. I know a few guys in the room weren't really into it, um, but I, I believe Sean and I are going to attempt to, Sean, front of the podcast, he's been on an episode of Fear Boners, are going to try to record an episode about Altered Carbon this weekend. Um, and then as far as what I'm drinking... Uh, just whatever beer is on tap here at WeWorks, I have no idea. I didn't look at the label. This could be pine salt. This could be urine. Um, so I'm alternating uh, mouthwash with that and uh, Arizona iced tea herbal tonic. So it's going to be a good night. <laughs> that sounds terrible. And uh, it's great to have you. Uh, I want to toss it over to my best friend who I haven't seen in forever. In the last podcast he was on, I think was Spider-Man. Mr. Jesse Rian. How's it going, man? Well, thanks for having me back on the show. It's it's been a it's been a long, long while. I am drinking my classic podcast juice, Arizona watermelon fruit juice cocktail. You hear that, Arizona? 
Arizona. Sponsor us. Are please. you still pleading? The price is on the can. It's right. The price, well, sometimes the price is on the can. The price is on the can. It's, it's on the can. It says 99 cents. Yeah. I just got some of those two for a dollar. So sometimes the price is on the can. Was that on the can? Four for two dollars. What? Yeah. yeah. Well, I can get four for. Oh, that's two for a dollar. What? Arizona, the prices are relevant. Since I've been on the podcast, um, I was actually struggling to think of what I wanted to bring up in terms of what I've watched since the last time I was on. About a month ago, I was on vacation and I binge watched pretty much every single anime show that's on Amazon. I had already watched all the animes that were on Netflix, and so I was starting to scrape the barrel. And there's three that I want to give a call out to: uh, Made in Abyss. One of the best world building I've ever seen in a TV show. Um, really interesting, like rules and things like that. I freaking loved it. Uh, there was Princess Principal, which had bombing, and like the animation quality was phenomenal. I really enjoyed it. Also, really fun setting. It's like Victorian England, but uh, steampunk esque. And then the other one was Girls Last Tour, which is. Basically just two girls in an apocalyptic wasteland, and there's literally nothing else going on but, one, but these two characters. Yeah, two girls, one wasteland. <laughs> That's uh, gross. Thanks for And it was, it was fun. I like that just because it was an interesting concept because it wasn't the classic, like, oh, we're fighting zombies or anything. It was just like, shit, we have to get water. And, like, where's food? And, like, that kind of statement, that kind of, like, road movie kind of statement. I liked it. So uh, those are the three that I was going to share. Thanks for uh, thanks for being here. Uh, I'm going to toss it over to Guillermo. Uh, I'm still watching X Files. Oh really? Uh, yeah. I heard Bradley hates that show. No, I'm I'm like episode uh, season three right now. Oh. He's in he's in the original X Files, not the new X Files. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard, like, I remember now, the good X Files. Like, is this supposed to be this shitty or is it just me? I'm like, I mean, I, I can see the newer seasons being bad because it, it's such a, I mean, that show is what, like 20 years old, 20 some years old now. Um, but the, the first, I'm on season three or four, I don't remember right now. And it's, it, it's still holds up. It's still pretty good. What? Um, the episodes are, some, some of them are weirdly dense and some of them are very easy to watch. So it, it, you have to, Kind of like switch between being able to do something else while watching it, but on some episodes you actually have to watch it. Um, so it's weird, but uh, it still holds up. I like it, and I really haven't seen. I don't think I haven't seen anything interesting since the last we talked was for the uh, Oscar nominations or whatever. So I don't. That, that's pretty much it. Um, I had a little bit of the uh, piss beer that you have here, whatever <laughs> I would call it. And I'm also having Arizona. Lois. And I am Warren, your host. Thanks for uh, hanging out with us, Guillermo. Uh, I have been watching a bunch of stuff. Uh, it's actually quite nice, kind of flying on these kind of uh, cross-country flights. They give you, like, Wi-Fi that you can, like, they have, like, some predetermined movies that you can just watch on your iPad, which is nice, and you don't have to, like, be stuck on the screen. So I probably inhaled about, like, maybe four or five movies on the <gasps> flight. Um, oh, and so, yeah, <gasps> exactly. So I probably had like maybe four or five movies on that flight, which is quite nice. Uh, and it was about maybe 12 hours of flying. So wow. that's why I was able to like inhale, because they also shortened them down. But something different, I actually went to my first comedy show ever to see Trevor Noah this past week. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, this guy was absolutely hilarious. Really? Trevor Noah? Trevor Noah was 
hilarious. Yeah, I know. I've never seen him, but dude was he was absolutely killing me, joke by joke, and the way that he was setting up it was almost like mini world building some of these jokes and he had this one joke to talk about he never like eaten tacos before and the different language barrier so there was just like levels and levels of jokes guy's awesome yeah um so like definitely shout shout out for that because that was hilarious and we smuggled in our wine of course because wine was ten dollars a glass and it was only in ounces Mm. so not about that life so i smuggled in my own wine so that was awesome um, so that's what I did this past weekend, and besides all the other movies that I watched, that Where I was you? Uh, in the, at the Wilbur. Uh, yeah, so that's like close to downtown Boston, uh, or actually downtown Boston. So that was what I've been watching. Uh, I am currently sipping on a couple things. I'm also drinking this Listerine sort of uh, menthol piss beer, as well as a uh, layer cake. It's a Sea of Stones, and it's a red blend vintage. And I chose this because Sea of Stones sounds ominous. So what the movie title we're gonna be talking about today? Yeah, it's really good. Super, super good. I think it's called that because it, it gives you kidney stones when you finish the bottle. Oh, yeah. I'm reading the label right now. It says, may contain kidney stones. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, no, no. May contain kidney stones. <laughs> no, 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 And I'm pumped. Uh, we are here. We're excited. Let's go in to get to, and uh, before we kind of get into our one uh, actual review, we're going to take a quick, small break. Uh, because we will be getting ready to spoil Black Panther for you. So Black Panther in theaters right now, directed by Ryan Coogler. This guy has been all over the place. And if you've seen Creed, you've probably seen all the a lot of the actors in here because Michael B. Jordan also did Creed and it was the same actual composer. His name is Ludwig Gorenson. Uh So they typically follow each other. They also did Fruitville Station too, so kind of keep an eye out for that. They normally work a lot together. So get ready. We're going to go give you a quick break. We'll be back in a moment. And for the entire review, spoilers of Black Panther. everybody uh we are here we're going to be reviewing black panther in theaters right now and it's absolutely on fire uh, arguably when it came out this thing was like a 99 percent trend about 100 percent for the, the longest time throughout the weekend and i don't even know how much money but it's probably close to let's say maybe two three hundred million dollars right now i think it's five dollars a billion worldwide but a dollar a dollar a dollar one dollar bob so uh it's probably like uh, <laughs> yeah right but um getting a lot of money but i'm also excited because like a lot of people love this movie there's a lots of wins we have on this movie i'm tossing over to the mouth of the south and say how much boy tell me about these wins that you enjoy on black panther all right so first off uh i would say that my biggest win is they did an incredible job of building this world and I think with Black Panther and what it means to a lot of people, they had to get it right and they knocked it out of the park. 
Uh, the technology, the Afrofuturism of it was amazing. Just seeing like their ships and how they're actually designed after insects and uh, different animals was really cool. Uh, just seeing their different uses of vibranium, uh, but also mixing it with the traditional um, African culture that they have as well. Uh, they did a really great job of just blending those together. Um, I would say like one of their best special effects, I think, is usually uh, Disney is known for their de-aging magic when it comes to older actors. And they could have taken John Connie as T'Chaka and turned him into a young T'Chaka. But instead, they did the smart thing. They got his son to play young T'Chaka. So I thought that was a smart move on their part. Uh, and I'm so glad they did that instead of the Michael Douglas. Although that looked great in Ant-Man, but I'm glad they somebody sat there and said, you know, maybe we oh, shouldn't really? do that. Yeah, like maybe, yeah. maybe we Have you seen my son? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's right here. I mean, we could we may as well just do that. That makes sense. Yes. Absolutely. And they even uh, integrated a traditional African language uh he Shosha, which John Connie speaks, and he actually taught it to Chad Bozeman uh, on uh, Civil War, and that kind of became the Wakandan language, which is really cool to just have that language get a uh, prominent role in this movie where I would say half the dialogue is in Isi Sosha for this entire movie, uh, which is awesome. Um, as far as acting, I have two big standouts. Uh, Letitia Wright as Sherry just steals the whole movie. Okay. She is... Super, like, just energetic. She's full of this uh, fun, like, love of technology and nerdiness. And uh, she has, like, the best moments of uh, just bringing the fun to the movie, which this movie, it could have been, like, a very super serious movie. They took it too seriously. But it's great that they had that opportunity to have a lot of fun and have her have these really be, like, the cue to... Chadwick Boseman's James Bond, which was really sick. So I think and, a lot of I think a lot of Marvel fans were really looking forward to Rocket and Tony meeting up, and that's not the case anymore. Sherry is have has to be like I just want to see the Science Bros and Rocket and Sherry just bro down and talk about weird stuff. Yeah, I would love to see Sherry in the next Spider-Man movie and see Peter Parker just crush hard on her. I think that would be amazing. <laughs> I was uh, I was super concerned that that moment where when he's going on the first mission he says oh yeah we'll we'll come to you if we need backup and she's like oh yeah I thought that was almost going to be like the moment in Iron Man when Rhodey's just like oh maybe next time and we weren't going to see her in action but then when you saw her in the car then I knew oh she's going to come back later in the movie and I was super excited for that yeah absolutely um, also Winston Duke is Mbaku. Um, he was a fantastic character as well. He, he comes out as like this big brutish uh, fighter, but over time you find that like he's a guy that's just like enjoys the comforts of home, so to speak. And he has a really good time of just being like a reluctant ally to T'Challa. And it would really be cool to see if they grow that friend that that bond even more in the next movie as well. But Mbaku has some great lines where he says he's going to feed you to his children. And then he says he's vegetarian is amazing. I love it. I would say probably the most beautiful moment in this movie. And also damn it, Ryan Coogler, you made me cry again. Uh, it's a bittersweet moment, but when Killmonger, uh, the dichotomy of 
T'Challa going in to see his ancestors versus Killmonger seeing his ancestors, how T'Challa is greeted by all these ancient kings. And when Killmonger does it, he's alone back in that apartment in Oakland. And he sees his dad. And his dad is talking to him. And his dad views him only as a kid, as a child that he remembers. He, does, he can't see him as a grown-up. But when they, when he realizes that Killmonger's going to make the same mistakes, that he's hell-bent on doing the same thing that his dad wanted to do, it makes him cry. And then Killmonger is like, this is what I got to do. I mean, this is just... He's trying to live up to his dad, and it's a very honest and earnest moment, but it's also like, you know, he's going to go down a bad path. And that's just very heartbreaking, but also at the same time, it's a very beautiful moment as well. I love that moment. What kills me about that scene is that you can see the dad trying to explain to him why he's doing it wrong, and he almost can't. And then he feels defeated, too. It's a brutal scene. Yeah. It's a really brutal scene. That it, it's a great it, it's a great scene because you you can also t- take a look and see that you know I see my like you yeah. can t- like this actor his name's Sterling something and his he's last name is Sterling K Brown. He's yeah. the uh, black dad in This Is Us. He's absolutely. Yeah. If you're looking for more stuff, he's unbelievable in This Is Us. Yeah. He won. He won a Golden Globe for This Is Us. Yeah, he was yeah, he's amazing. He won a Golden Globe for O.J. Simpson. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was just to add on to that, those scenes when they get their panther powers back and they visit the spirit realm and they're talking to their ancestors, both um, uh, Killmonger's side of it and uh, Panther's side of it were my favorite part of the film. Like the imagery, the rainbow sky, you can yeah. kind of tell it's this weird supernatural element. But again, how they contrast. And then the scene that Brian was referencing when the father's like, oh, no tears for me because I'm dead. And the child, the, the child actor who's just like, no, you know, people people get killed around here. That's just how it is. Oh. When he delivers that line, it's like chilling. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, on the next beat, it's suddenly Michael B. Jordan, and you're like, oh, shit. Like, you grew up real quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that's when you realize the total difference between, like, Black Panther, who grew up, you know, with a happy family in this wonderful spot, and then uh, Killmonger, who grew up in Oakland in the 90s, which wasn't a great place to grow up. And that just... Like, that's where really the sympathy for Killmonger for me at least started. But the, the imagery was great in those scenes. Oh, I absolutely love it. Yeah, Boba? One thing, too, that I thought was really brilliant about that scene is um, this movie, as Brian mentioned earlier, does a lot of really good world building. And it isn't just through like direct narrative dumps or showing us, you know, like really cool scenes um, What they or imagery. What they did in this in this scene was they validated all of the cultural reactions that we saw earlier to the movie of his body not being brought back to be buried in Wakanda. Like people reacted really like harshly when they found out when they like, when you talk about not burying somebody in Wakanda and you think, Oh, it's a traditional thing, right? Like people want to make sure their body, their spirits get to go on and, or be buried in home. But you actually get to see in this moment that when T'Chaka left his brother's body in that apartment, he damned him to not being able to rejoin his ancestors in the spirit world. And that's like, that's crushing and heartbreaking. And it actually gives a, a visceral impact to just how offensive T'Chaka's sins were. Um, and I just thought that was a really cool, subtle way of putting that, of getting that information out there without, you know, giving another narrative dump for the, uh, for the audience. It was interesting <laughs> seeing the ancestral planes in the background of the Oakland, like Skyland. You know, like you, you could see the same special effects floating out there and they were just, they were completely contained. They were in the same place, 
just separate from everyone else because of that. And yeah. To, to your it point, Mocha, that was brilliant uh, special effects to go with that like piece of storytelling. It was almost like they were caged into their own sins, that there was all this beauty and paradise outside, but they can't get out there to it. Yeah. 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 Uh, in that scene, did anybody get a chance to read the letter uh, that was in the book where this uh, the I necklace and the ring was? Well, because there's two different languages. One was the language they were speaking, the other one was in English. Um, I got a chance. The only thing I could read was T'Chaka's name was in there, and I think it was like an order for him to do something about it, but I I have to go back for a third time. I actually thought it was a letter to his son, because when I, I tried reading it really fast, too, and yeah. a lot of it is like my son, blah, blah, blah. like it actually is Steve Gilmore. Yeah, so what? Else? So uh, yeah, toss it to the group and talk about you know some some what some other wins. I know you were talking, Mocha. You want to continue with your wins? So I think it's really important for us to talk about and bring this up, um, but this movie was really important from a, a social perspective. This this movie is a, is very significant um, for those people who are out there who saw the movie and don't really understand what the hype about it was. Um, you know, this film has a level of representation for people of color that we just don't see in big budget films like this. Um, and not just representation in terms of having like black faces on screen, but um, black faces that are fully embraced in the knowledge or the fantasy of what Africa could have been like had it not been um, like ruined by a history of colonialism and chattel slavery. Um, and those are really challenging themes to deal with in any movie, let alone a Marvel movie. And I think it's really, really impressive that they took that step out and allowed Ryan Coogler to really address those questions of not only what does a, an, an uncolonized world uh, Africa look like, but also what does it mean to the people in the rest of the world who were subject to the horrors of slavery when there was a country that could have helped them all along that had the resource to do that. And what does that mean for that legacy and what could it mean for the future? Um, in Kilgrave, you have one of the most, I think, dynamic villains that we've seen in a Marvel movie, period. And it's, it was really exciting for me because in watching the trailers, I was immediately turned off by the notion of, oh, the villain winds up being a guy in a Black Panther suit and they fight um, because most Marvel movies have a problem with their origin story villains being mirror images of the hero. Um, it's just, oh, they they want to do what the hero does, but they want to be bad with it. And I was worried that, that would be the case. But with Killmonger, we got somebody really dynamic who not only had a very justified um, approach to his villainy, um, but was also just, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, his convictions were strong and he had an actual agenda that wasn't just like, I want to be bad for bad sake. Um, and I really, really want to give a huge shout out to Ryan Coogler, not just for addressing the issues he did, but for also giving us a Marvel villain that breaks free of almost every other Marvel villain stereotype we've seen in the movie so far. Okay. Okay. So, um, I think that you're absolutely right. The hero and the villain, uh, were the same side or uh, were the two different sides of the same coin. Like, I think that it was amazing that Wakanda as a culture did not want to expand any sort of borders. Like, they were just, we're going to be here, we're going to do our own thing, and we're going to get on with life. And both uh, T'Challa and um, Killmonger wanted to, like, break that tradition. And they wanted to go out and, uh, like, expand their borders. And so I think that it was very interesting seeing how two people rebelled against their societies in completely different ways and in the end wanted the same goal they wanted to make wakanda known to the public they wanted to make it known on the worldwide scale but just 
we're going about it in completely different ways. I think Warren had like a great point on that, right? Oh, yeah. And so I, I think it's interesting, especially it's another point that Mocha had talked about. Of You see like the Killmonger's character. I'll refer to him as uh, Eric's, Eric. Eric's character was a very version of Malcolm X. And we see this in the films a lot. We see this, the fact that he's a, a bit more radical. He's definitely more violent. He goes with that approach uh, of getting things solved and rising up and knowing that we have to, t- we have, we have brothers and sisters that look like us. This is a line from the movie. We have brothers and sisters that look like us that's suffering. Y'all don't know what it's like. This y'all appear sitting fine in your actual throne while they're all suffering, right? And I mean, I mean, that's like out of the book from like Black Panther in that particular type of timeline, that society. Arguably, we can see that even when that was like in the 90s, it was already after the fact, but lots of things were actually happening around the time frame. The 90s in Oakland's kind of a fucked up place. Where then if you go all the way over to in Wakanda at the time frame, you see T'Challa's character is more of the um, Martin Luther King Jr.'s sort of person, more of a peaceful approach to try to help out and try to give as much as they necessarily can or at least want to do that. And you have these two, you know, civil rights men that has done so much for their society and so much for the people that it, it literally just kept coming out everywhere in the movie from the, even their costume design and what they were necessarily doing was very, very crazy to the point where even in this movie, T'Challa comes in as the king. Then later on, Eric Steven comes in as the king. And he's dressed exactly like him, a little bit different, but he's dressed exactly like him, kind of assuming that throne, assuming that role. And I, you know, I just, I, I picked up on that, I think that right before, like right during the second viewing. And it, it, it really, it really kind of affected me, moved me as a person. And it's a pretty remark- remarkably scathing criticism of American politics in the present day. You know, the fact that, that Eric was a, um, a U.S. Marine, I believe, who they say specifically, oh yeah, in these, what do you, like, we've been training these soldiers for the past 15 years to destabilize governments. Um, and that's exactly what he did, as you pointed out, Warren. Like, that is a, that is a really scathing criticism of current American politics. Like, it's easy to look back and be like, oh yeah, slavery was bad. Um, and still is, obviously. But for them to say, hey, like, the U.S.'s current, um, uh, policies of destabilizing governments uh, throughout the world for their own agenda is creating some really bad shit in the world, and this is one of the this is like one of those elements. We saw that in the Punisher too, um, where you know Marvel is going where these these Marvel shows are going out of their way to talk about what it's like when these soldiers come home from war and they don't have a home to come to come back to. What does that do? What happens in the mind of that soldier, and how does it affect their lives and the lives of those around them? Um, and I thought it was really brave and and surprising for them to go in that direction right out the gate with this movie, and so blatantly too. It wasn't subtly hinted at. You know, Everett Ross said very specifically, "This is what he was trained to do. What did you expect?" Okay. And I'm glad, I'm glad it wasn't subtle. I think there's a lot of things that are very blatant, almost kind of over your head. But at the, at the, especially for the time that we're in for right now, it, it kind of has to happen, and I'm, and I'm glad it kind of happened. And I'm glad they actually wrote it into the script and they performed it exactly as they needed to. Well, that post-credit scene was entirely that. The whole, yeah. like, good leaders don't build walls, they build bridges. Woo! Wall! Wall! Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mocha, honestly, I'm going to talk about something. I felt uncomfortable at some points in this movie. Like, I don't know, uh, fans of the show, uh, I am white. 
I don't know if you could tell. Uh, his face is. His lips aren't. It's it's wild. Uh, I'm a white man, and there was like genuine moments when I felt like when they were talking about colonizers and all that stuff. Like there was moments when I I literally thought in my mind, I'm like, dude, my family's poor from Ireland. Like I wasn't calling out colonizing anything. But the other part of my brain was like, no, this is something that people like think and i think that we should have a dialogue uh, we we should really talk about this and i think that i don't i don't assume that a marvel movie is going to break down race relations in the us but i think that it's a very valid point that you can understand where someone is coming from and then make like you can open up that dialogue cuz i don't i don't think that necessarily every white person is to blame for colonization in africa in uh europe asia america south america like wherever you say that um i don't think that necessarily one peoples is responsible for that but i think we should have the conversation based around like how certain groups feel on that matter and I think if this movie does anything, it can start that conversation where everyone should feel uncomfortable about certain things so that they can work towards being comfortable. That makes Absolutely. sense? Absolutely. It definitely you know, does. It's like, like, my gut reaction was to feel offended, and then my secondary reaction was like, no, people feel this way, we should talk about it, and then, like, understand why people feel this way. But, Warren, but I, got, I got Guillermo going to pop in here. So... I, I I am also white, but I am Latino. Uh, I'm a little bit like well, I'm extremely more light lighter skin. Um, a little bit country. <laughs> I I never felt like like what what you're saying that there's like uh, offended or like or like what I think that this movie is a celebration for what. What what a society or like a group of people could be, um, and I if anything I was like thinking to myself and we were talking about it in in, in individually like I want to have a Puerto Rican uh, superhero like I want to read now comic books so I can see uh, you know uh, Spider Man being a Puerto Rican kid or whatever because it's it, and I don't I I never felt offended because they did a very good thing in the script, which I think was the weakness, which was a lot of the really important things were throwaway lines. And instead of having a tribe fight that's 10 minutes long, cut it to five and let me see T'Challa and Killmonger talk about it more. Because that's the important part of the movie. Like that's, that is what the movie was built in, and I, we didn't see that. Yeah. It's it it I, 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 it felt every, like that last scene with uh, Kilmore when he says, "Just throw me in the water." I like that's and and he's gone. Like he couldn't explain that to him because Shana doesn't know. The Shana doesn't know what slavery is. Like and, and that's important for him as a king. And he couldn't talk to him about that. And he couldn't see that why was Kilmore with that American swagger 
Like that's how, you know, African-Americans and American act. That's the only thing that they have for them going. Like they need to do like, they, but you know what I'm saying? Like they need to, they need, they need to find a way to feel better about themselves. And that's why they have that, that style, that swagger, like that way they talk. Yeah. Right? And it's, get to see that. And I, I, and I don't, I don't, I, I mean, we were talking about, and, and there was a very, uh, uh, emotionally invested black woman behind me that she was very happy that they were talking to the white guy in the movie, uh, that way. And I, I'm like, yeah, I absolutely, I, I can see that, but it was funny. Like that colonizers thing, it was, it, I don't think she meant it in a wrong way. Cause that's it. That's it. And I think that's a really cool thing about the actors in this movie that he never felt, even though one of the things was that they were uh, isolated, I feel like the core group of actors, they understood that they needed to be more inclusive. Mm-hmm. And I think in the acting, it was inclusive. And even that line, shut up, Bellanice, or whatever the fuck, I don't remember, it felt more or less a joke. And I think she knew it was a joke, but kind of like a, hey, Fuck you, guy. But yeah. hey, but we're we're together. You know, like you mentioned that um, that a lot of the some of the more important elements of the overarching di- um, conversation around race and race relations um, were left a little subtle, and sometimes they weren't talked about explicitly enough. Um, and I think that's very true. But um, at the same time, when you are in in certain circles of individuals who you know, trade daily in conversations about race, race relations and how to improve those things. One thing you often hear from people of color is that um, they don't, it's not a a person of color's job to explain to a white person how to be a good ally. That there should be a certain amount of of research on their part or at least an impotence to like learn things and educate themselves rather than going around and saying, Hey, I don't get this. Explain to me why, explain to me why slavery was bad. Um, or, you know, whatever that may be now, whether or not I personally believe that's the case isn't the part of this isn't really up for debate at the moment, but there is that, that, that mindset where when you're somebody who has to deal with, um, racial discrimination, whether in very grandiose forms or even in like the daily microaggressions that people of color experience, it is exhausting to have to just deal with that on a daily basis, let alone to explain to a, to a, a well-meaning white person why certain why certain microaggressions might be viewed as bad, or why or what they need to know about the history of chattel slavery in order to understand its effects on the modern world today. Um, and I think that what Ryan Coogler did was he took all of those sort of smaller, more subtle conversations and assume and just went through with the movie assuming that people would will understand and don't need to have their hands held or that for the people who don't understand that there will be discussion and dialogue and and an impetus on their own from this movie to sort of explore that and learn more about what it means to be a good ally if you're white or to you know to be a better person so i'm not saying i'm not i'm not by any means saying like to you like oh you need to figure this out on your own but i do think that that was intentional on the part of cooler and the creative team to not not to not walk people through it I'm not saying that we as a viewer needed the conversation to be had. I'm saying that the the strongest part of the movie was that it wasn't heavy handed. It didn't feel like he wrote down, we need to talk about these things. And then he wrote the movie around it. He wrote a movie that talked about these things. What I'm saying is that it's a shame that they're throwaway lines in most cases because the child felt weak through the movie. And that's the only one of the biggest criticisms that I have of the movie is that 
he felt weak as a character and having Killmonger talk to him of what it is to be a, uh, a, a black folk somewhere else rather than in Wakanda could make him be a better king and spear forward like the, okay, we want to open the borders. That's the only thing I'm saying. I so, agree. I agree with that. And I think that I Killmonger's whole thing wasn't heavy handed because it is like, if you want to talk about these things, the worst thing you can do is be extremely heavy handed because then you have people go, oh my God, they called us honkies. Like, no, like that's not, <laughs> that's not what we're talking Like, that's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree with you, Guillermo. And I the weakest part of the movie was that it tried to be it was a little bit of a throwaway thing. Well, um, I, I had a moment as, as a very white person where that line was delivered by Shari and I was like, of course you would deliver that line. It would just be like, hey, here's this. And it took me a second to realize what she said. And then I was like, that, that, that was great. I wasn't offended at all. I almost had a moment where I like looked around <laughs> and I was like, is there anybody in the theater who's very white and very offended right now? This is going to be great. Which line exactly was that, Andrew Rabbit? What? Which line exactly was that? Was, was the, the dialogue? Fix another, fix another white boy? Yeah, well, no, no, when she called. Uh, uh, Don't uh, scare me like that, colonizer. Colonizer, yeah, just like off the cuff, and he was just like, wait a minute, is that me? <laughs> <laughs> like, I identified, it's like, I am also white, and then I just kind of shrugged it off, but it was just like out of nowhere. Yeah. It didn't bother me. But, but it felt was... very natural, and it was, and it, I think. And at, at, at any point, I thought that they were picking on him. No. They were just, you're here. He like, just so happened to be the yeah. only white so, guy. So one of my best friends growing up, his whole family was Haitian. So whenever I went to see them in, in, their, like, in their family home, their grandmother, who was black as night, was seeing Like, so uh, how do you feel being the only white guy here? Like, and she used to joke with me at that one. Like, and it... And it made sense because she was, I was a different one there. Mm -hmm. So it was, and I always, and it was out of love. Like it was literally out of love. They were just making fun of me. And it, it's all right. Like that's, that's okay. But even in this time of the movie, right? And I think this is another reason why I, this is why I enjoy more the information they give us in this movie is as far as this, this nation of Wakanda knows, there has been one white person in this nation has been interacting with them. And he stole from them and killed a bunch of people. Yeah. And so uh, uh, that was um, like pretty fucked up because the second white person that everybody else is concerned, right, besides his sister, just his second white person just pops up. What, what did you say, brother? They just froze him and put him away. Oh, yeah. Warren, <laughs> Warren. It's like, oh, white guy. Put him to, be fair, to be fair, they had a, they had a very anti, uh, like, they had a very closed policy, closed border policy to everyone. Because the the opening mission was in a African country, right? It was like some group was oppressing someone, and then T'Challa had to go in there and save, or you know, quote unquote, save uh, Nakia, uh, to basically recover. Like say, hey man, you gotta stop doing this stuff. Um, and so I think that they. They somehow transcended race on that one where they, they just really didn't care. They didn't want to talk to anyone in Africa or Europe or Asia. 
And I think that's the the global point of this movie. Like Guillermo said, it wasn't very ha- heavy-handed, but like, I think you were in T'Challa's... If you were smart about stuff, and you were, as Mocha said, a good ally, you know, however you choose to define that term, um, you want to talk. You want to open up a dialogue. And I think T'Challa didn't want to, at the end of this movie give every one of his secrets away, but he wanted to discuss how humanity could become better. And it's the same thing that I took out of it. Every time that I looked around and was like, ah, ooh, white people do not look good in this movie right now. Uh, Every time I thought that, the other part of my brain was like, no, it's fine. Because this is the the conversation we need to have. We, We need to get to a point where there's no white or black, it's just humanity. Because eventually we're gonna, you know, the crazy point, uh, we're gonna go off the rails here. But eventually we're gonna find some other crap that's on another planet, and we're gonna have to deal with this not as a Puerto Rican, a black dude, and a dude from the south, uh, and some dude from the the right part of the country, uh, Boston. Uh, Whoa, was that right? Is incorrect. <laughs> I make I make I'm making fun of Bryland on the most point on this one because uh, he's from you know from the south. Uh, Warren and Mo- Mocha and Warren are from the good part of the country. It's it's all right. Oh, um, come on. <laughs> oh, come on, guys. I'll time it. Uh, no, but I'm, I'm saying that, like, uh, like, eventually, I think, I really do I think... I was not that... uncomfortable, because I said this life. Oh, man. But again, um, it's, it's about having a conversation rather than... Uh, I don't think Kugler set out to change opinions. He, he spoke to opening up a dialogue. And that's, you know, that's what you've experienced, too. That's what, I mean, I think that's what I've experienced. He used a very common sense approach. And yeah, this is entertainment and everything, but the representation is still important. And yeah. if you want to get the conversation started, ask someone, why is this so important to you? That's going to yeah. start the conversation there. And that's going to get it going where you can reach a deeper understanding. I'll say this is one and, quick point before Warren goes in. Uh, I don't care for like arbitrarily changing uh, people, characters to like, get more diversity like I, I i people complain about it but it's not the biggest thing for me like I, I i didn't care that iron fist and dr strange were white like it's whatever uh that being said this movie showed a cast that i have not seen before in a major blockbuster film and i freaking loved it like the fact that you took an like an original african story and put a couple hundred million dollars into it and then blew it up and put it on an IMAX screen in front of me, I freaking loved it, and I want to see more. I don't care. Like, I again, I don't care if you change the next Captain America film to be, like, uh, Bucky Barnes, but Bucky Bl- Barnes has gone through some weird racial, racial like, transformation. <laughs> like, I, I, whatever, and that does nothing for me. Just show me more of this crap. Like, it's, give me some crazy, like, Puerto Rican film. Give, give me, what is it, White Panther? White Tiger. White Tiger. Ah, it's, uh, not a, <laughs> yeah, not a good. Uh, give me, give me a White Tiger movie. Like I would love to see that. So uh, yeah, since well, Warren's drinking some water, just really quick, um, Guillermo, just to talk to like put one more cap on what you were saying about having those two characters open up a dialogue. Um, you know, Michael B. Jordan, or rather Eric Killmonger and T'Challa. Yeah, I agree. That would have been a white, like a smarter way to go about the conversation from. Um, from Killmonger's perspective. However, you have to keep in mind too that for that character going into that scene in the movie, he was dethroning a somebody who had the power all his life 
and a nation that for centuries had the power to change things and to, to who saw what the world was going on in the world around them and chose actively not to change things. So for his character, there was no reason to have dialogue because they already showed through hundreds of years of inaction that, that they weren't worthy of the mantle of, of saving the oppressed. And so I think it was appropriate for Michael B. Jordan's character to be so angry and so rage filled. And I know for, um, you know, I had this conversation with some other friends of mine who are, who are individuals of color where they were like, Oh, I'm so sick and tired of the angry black male stereotype in films and that's true, you know, like Killmonger is an angry black male in this movie. But I think it was really intentionally done by Kugler because this whole movie was about how to help and heal the community at large. And you can't heal a community until you've dealt with the anger within yourself. And I think that that was the reason for Eric Killmonger being how exactly how he was. I'm tossing over to Adam now. Oh well, just one one point as you guys were talking that occurred to me, and like what I think is really great about this movie is that the the stakes for a, a singular a steak that you eat, a, the stakes for a character, a singular character title film in the Marvel Universe have never been higher than they were in the Black Panther. Because uh, if you think about it, if those ships got away and the weapons were delivered, like Killmonger's people under his orders would have taken over the world. They were gonna go to all the mass centers in the world and conquer whoever was there and Wakanda would rule the earth. And that would have been really bad. Like, I, I am technically discounting movies like Doctor Strange because that's magic and what we're probably going to find out down the line is all that stuff. Like, all the other people in the Marvel Universe don't know any of that happened. Same with, like, Guardians of the Galaxy off-world stuff. Nobody technically knows that happened yet, but Black Panther, for a single character and his supporting characters that aren't necessarily, but they will become mainstream characters, these were the biggest stakes. And I think that's great that they did it for this film. Well, it's like Ant-Man, too, where no one knows Ant-Man happened. But, like, that was the same thing where if they shipped the Yellow Jacket across the, the rest of the world, like, the whole world would have been destabilized. Where I don't, I, I don't I think don't. that Ant-Man had the same uh, connotations as Black Panther. I think Black Panther was a better movie, but... Yeah, easily. But it it's, like, ant for me didn't feel, like, as... Um, Important? As important, yeah. Like, I like that movie, but not nearly as much as I like this movie. I feel like there was more to it than just shipping, like, the, the, the yellow jacket suits. Like, this would have been weapons and people behind those weapons, but this would have just been, like, selling weapons to people in Ant-Man. This would have been, like, people with a purpose, a country with a purpose. Who's been trained. Yeah, like, exactly. Are... Um, speaking of trained to fight, I think that this movie took like, the female ideal forward farther than any movie I think I've ever seen in my entire life, including Wonder Woman. Like, mm -hmm. the th uh, three of them, the big three plus, I guess, um, Angel Bassett as Ramona, uh, was, like, that was the most female ass-kicking I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, that was awesome. And, and, and it wasn't just, like, pure strength. It was, like, smarts and strategy and, like, technology. It was, it was everything. It's just, like, pure ass-kicking. It was amazing to see happen. DC came through with Wonder Woman and was like, hey, check it out. We got some feminism for y'all. And Denai Guerrero stepped up and was like, hold my spear. Yeah, yeah, she seriously. Came through. Seriously. <laughs> she came through. And what I love about her character yeah. is that, like, with Black Panther, yeah, he can do these crazy, like, acrobatic, um, like, fights because he's wearing a vibranium suit of armor. And even without the vibranium suit of armor, he has enhanced durability from the heart-shaped herb. But, you know, uh, but Okoye was just a woman. And she was there surfing on a car going full speed, chucking spears at guys um, and like freaking surfing on the car door. 
just because she's a badass. Like, not because she has any special, like, safety on her. Like, if that car had flipped, she would have gotten mangled. But she did it anyway because she had a job to do. So that, and I think you mentioned this. I'm going to toss it over to Abbott after. But, Brylin, you had talked about these kind of uh, these kind of crying moments. And I, I had two in this film also. That was one because after she stopped, like, the rhino from picking out M'Baku, excuse me, uh, Thick Daddy M'Baku. Uh, and before like she actually ended up doing that, the rhino stops, looks her in the face. We have like this very cute moment, and then it's a face-off. And as as much as we know at that moment is that they are lovers, and they call each other my love. And you know, the uh, Daniel Kaluuya's character goes, "Would you kill me, my love?" And she says, "Without a for Wakanda, without a question." And I was like, "Holy shit!" Because you get Okoye's. Very small, but it's still an arc, and there's just so much that's important about that that moment right there. Just as like a, a strong female character that don't need a man, like just shit that's like it's such a profound moment because earlier she was already faced against the fact that was she loyal to what. And Nakia says, well, I'm, I'm, she killed him. And she knows at that point that she's loyal to T'Challa. Nakia is. But Okoye was stuck because she was loyal to the throne. And that's, and that's at one point, somebody's loyal to the throne. Nakia says, I'm trying to save Wakanda. Fast forward, at the, like near the end of now, she's at a different crossroad. And she says, you know what? I will, without question, kill you because this is my home. This is what's important to me. And that's... You don't see those sort of moments happen because at, the, at that point, that civil war that was happening is all done. Um, yeah, just, and not just, only is the civil war done, but for once, for one fucking moment, right, the woman comes out as the victor, then the man, and he finally submits to her. And that is the truly like inspiring moment because, damn, at least my mother and like the black society, women are queens and a queen is much higher as it is in chess much higher and much stronger than a king and that's just so fucking important i, I was gonna say the yeah and the most uh, impressive scene for me was like the teamwork scene against uh killmonger where like they all fought together as one unit uh to like counteract his panther abilities like that blew my mind that like three or four chicks with spears working together as one single entity could beat out like someone who is enhanced beyond their wildest dreams. Strong black women. Strong black. Koye is definitely married to her duty more than anything. Even though if she does take on a lover, that's always going to come first. And poor Daniel Kaluuya always staying in the sunken place. He has a problem with women, I think. <laughs> but uh, those war rhinos, those are fucking amazing. I was just uh, gonna those say, war there's, rhinos. There's a moment, um, and I think I had it remembered wrong originally, but there's a moment where they tease uh, uh, it's time for a female Black Panther when they have the one last remaining heart-shaped dirt. They try to give it to the Kia, or they try to give it to Okoye? Yeah, the Kia. Yeah. The Kia, okay. Well, and then that's where I think I had it remembered wrong, because I thought it was in the scene where she was trying to convince her to leave with them. And she tried to give her that and said, it's on you, Okoye, but that was later, right? In the comics, you have to have royal blood. Yeah. So here's what's funny about the royal blood that Jesse talked about, that it was passed off much to Guillermo's uh, point earlier that it was a joke. But in this movie, you even have uh, Shiri 
raise her hand to want to challenge the the Black Panther. And, you know, it goes off as a joke, much like the colonizer line goes off as a joke. But at the same time, those jokes, right? Because jokes is really kind of tied to horror. We're not going to get into that literature. But that is important because it's like, well, now you've already kind of put that plant, you put that seed in somebody's mind of, that's just possible. And why not? Because arguably, at least what we know for right now, she's the smartest person on this in this fucking continent. Easily. Well, if anything, if this movie has solidified like the idea of the rumors going around of an all-female Marvel movie, now I'm sold. Like the females in this movie, like they could lead like a female task force of Marvel. Like once their interactions occur, I think it's more solidified. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I, I would just I, I like the I love the idea. I would definitely need to see more female, more stronger female. Yeah, the Wasp and Captain Marvel coming out. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, yeah, I need to see more because the Wasp was Wasp was a background character. Captain Marvel, okay. We know we have Black Widow. That's three. In this movie alone, there's like four or five. Easily, and that's not even the people that were fighting all the time because even the people that were fighting against a Killmonger, I call him Eric. Even the people that would like fight against Eric or Najaka? Well, a Killmonger, the reason why people, the reason why I don't like using that title, side note, quick sidebar, the reason why I don't like using that title because that title was given to him by the other people, the people that he was actually killing, but he never went from that. And when he finally showed up in Wakanda, he says, no, that's not my name. They call him Eric Stevens. He says, no, that's not my name. Ask me what my name is. Ask me, ask me. And what he goes by, and that's a very important thing of your sense of title and like who you are as a person is very important. Because he doesn't go by any of that shit. He goes by Najaka, son of Nobu, who was fucking murdered by his own brother, brother, brother. So brother. So <laughs> Warren's Fifty Shades of Black, right there. <laughs> well, I think it's very important, though. I think that's definitely a prescient moment to, to think about uh, the importance of names. You know, uh, even like my last name is Jackson, right? And I was supposed to be son of Jack, but whatever. That's not quite the case, but where did that name come from? So I like the fact that he has a quote-unquote American name that he doesn't quite use. And that also ties into the fact that when he kills Zuri, if anybody remember this moment, when he kills Zuri, he stabs him in the gut, takes it out and says, uh, um, something, something, Uncle James. Yeah. He doesn't call him Zuri at all because it's like, fuck you. I'm going to call you with a name that who I think you are because you betrayed everything I love. When he addresses the queen, when he's in the throne room, when he makes the big reveal, he's like, oh, hey, auntie. Oh, hey, auntie. Yeah. 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 Like, again, very subtle moments that's not quite beating you over the head. But these are important things. Obviously, I think I'm the only person that sells this more than once. But these are important moments in this movie that I'm like, fuck. I don't think people are going to understand it. And yes, I'm, I, yeah, I, I get it. I'm, it doesn't matter what my skin color is, if I'm going to understand it or not. I'm just looking at what these characters have portrayed and what's on screen. And I think that's why it's important. No, I, 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 I walked out of the movie and I told Jesse, the first thing I told him was, I think my wife would love this movie. Uh, I do. Because there's so many babes in it. Because it's, it's, like I said, it, it, it's all these different things, and and uh, Mocha would would agree that you know even though we're not uh, we didn't well I didn't grow up here and, and I'm not you know 
dark skin, I, like being Latino has so much in common with uh, like how African Americans, uh, like their sense of like how the mother is so important, uh, like family ties and all these things and how uh, uh, my wife grew up in Dominican Republic where, you know, she has this, this empathy where it's like her, her surrounding was, you know, really dark skinned people, people and the women are so powerful and that last scene where when they're walking out, I don't remember where they're walking out from, from oh from the UN. And the 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 escort of uh, like the, the oh, women. His and security do it and they like his security and they and they were very, you know, they were very like, well we're women and so they're dressing like really nice, beautiful clothes, but they had their the neck rings. Mm -hmm. And and I think Brian said that uh, earlier today, like how they merge this, you know, they live in this this current world, but at the same time, they they respect their 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 traditions. That's and, uh, so good. In the even tying so off of that good. one, the first so time good. the first so time good. that they like show themselves to the world, right? That's what we see in South Korea. They're dressed up, very gaudy, very bright, bunch of hair, wearing the wigs. Now, fast forward to the end of the movie, we see them how they want to be seen. Yep. And that's also, like, there's just so many layers in layer this cake. movie that... It's a layer cake, great movie. Too. Great movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. We don't talk about it. Don't do it on me. Don't do it on me. But I just like, I like the fact that you just show them, and this also gets provides inspiration to black, young females to say that you can be whoever the fuck you want to be, and choose to be who you want to be. It's and your, your vision. Yeah, I, like I said, I want, again, I, I and you know, obviously, like I said, I, I didn't grow up here, so I didn't, like, I don't have that sense of, like, the struggle of, of having a different race. But I walked out of it, and I thought of myself, like, if you're, if you're African-American, you see this movie, and you're not in love with being African-American, there has to be something wrong with you. Because it portrays, like, but you know what I'm saying, like, don't no, I. But you know what I'm saying. Do I do. Know? I I I understand fully. Like it 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 gives you the tools to be empowered, and before before going in, or, or I think I, it was after I saw Jesse. Like, how I wonder how different people are gonna see both sides, and where are they gonna be in. Because I can very clearly see some people walk out of the movie and saying, I had a rougher yeah. upbringing, and I definitely think that, you know, Eric's character was in the right. And I can definitely see people coming out and being like, my upbringing was closer to T'Challa, and I had access to, you know, better education or whatever, and I can see his side of the story more. And, and kind of like what we're saying, either, either of them are right, but like I feel like even me as a Latino person, I felt so empowered that there is a movie that shows you how your culture can be, you know, the pinnacle of something, yeah. or you as a person can be the pinnacle of something. And and it, it, okay, let's. I, I don't want to be controversial, so I, I might take that back. But no, like, no. It, it, like I. Like if you see this movie, you go out of it and you feel empowered. I think it, it, it its job was done. Um, 
But at the same time, I love that you can see it just as a really cool comic book movie. It's an important, you know? it's an important and, movie. It's an, it's an important way of just looking at, you know, all black people are different, yeah. right? And obviously I live in America. I'm going to be vastly different than the people that were born in Africa. People believe that everybody's born from Africa. Like there's a lot of different beliefs that's from there. And I'm not going to get into my background, right? And not, not all the stuff, but the, the, at least the one thing I will bring up before we talk about the music, because I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this score, the soundtrack. There's a lot of different layers. Uh, there's a lot of different levels to talk about this music. But at, at the end of the day, this movie is important. If anything, it, it at least empowers people, right? It doesn't have to be a particular race, right? This movie talks about Africa, so this movie is going to be focusing more on black people than people of African-American descent. But this movie focuses and gives the power to people that says that, that, says that you know, this is what you could do, this is what you can do still, even if you are born from nothing, Right? And this is a weird concept, but even if you're literally born from the, the most affluent and like they have every tool known to man, they have all the things they need in Wakanda. But Eric was born from nothing and his father died. He had no idea why. He can still rise up and achieve and do all the things that he want to do. His motivation is a little fucked up. And what do you want to do? But he, but he, yes, exactly. You can still do that. And it really depends on, like, it doesn't really matter like where you are, who you are, and things like that. So, you know, I, I, I have the power. Yeah, I that's good. I mean, I, I also felt empowered. I, I definitely have, like, a different approach. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to talk about more of my black folks, um, Ricky and uh, CJ. No, not CJ, but Ricky. Uh, <laughs> Dang. <laughs> I, right after saying all oh, black people are different. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm excited. I, I really am because you know some. Album, I think my father asked me, uh, "Oh, hey, should I go watch this movie?" Oh, absolutely. And well, I thought it was interesting. I was like, "Why? Why are you asking me that?" He's like, "Well, I'm tired. You know, where we come from was his first thing. I know you saw it and where we come from." And so I'm like, "Well, all right, yeah. I want you to see this movie, then we can talk about it. And we have a conversation. So hopefully next week I'll, I'll circle back." And have a conversation of what he thinks, and my my father out of all people to ask me that 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 question. And we haven't even talked about it, like so a special podcast I, interview. Yeah. <laughs> oh, his name's Joe Jackson, so it'll be the the Jacksons. And one thing I do want to bring up, and I'm super excited to talk about this. And I think we mentioned it. Uh, me and Abbott had a nice conversation during the world in the credits. But the score of this movie, the soundtrack. Can we talk a little bit about the music? Because the one thing I do want to talk about is Killmonger, and the name of it on Spotify is Killmonger. I think it's just called Killmonger, but it's his theme. Was an 808 track after a bit of a um, like the traditional, I don't know the actual instruments, but it's probably going to kill me. But Jump. it was a mix of, what was it? Jumbas? I don't know. It was some sort of woodwind for sure. But yeah, there there's definitely some flutes and something. Yeah, there was there was just a mix between this that that theme kept coming back throughout the movie. Um and I, and I just love I just love all the music in this movie. But by far I think Killmonger's theme, if it already has been, there's probably gonna be a million fucking freestyles over it. 
It's a simple. It's a simple. Yeah, it's sick. Yeah, I like that. One thing that I was like super concerned about, like going into this movie, was that it was just going to be hip hop every single track, and I love that they put the music in the place where it makes most sense. So you had like some like almost like K-pop playing in Busan and you had in Oakland, you had old school too short playing, which I was like, wow, the nineties are a long time ago, but I grew up listening to that song too. Um, but, um, but like when you get into Wakanda, yeah, they don't have hip hop. I mean, it's more traditional African tribal music and, it's uh, but they do modernize a little bit. They do have a little bit of electronics in it to actually um, talk about that electric, that modernization to the country. And then Killmonger's is that blend of both that comes together as well. So, so I don't hate the fact that like you have indigenous music to a country uh, because it's one of those things that immediately sets the stage when you're in uh, Korea. Like one of the easiest ways for someone who's in the know. You hear K-pop music and you're like, oh, I'm in Korea rather than like Japan or China or Vietnam or any other Asian country. Um, well, let's get into some of our, the things that we didn't quite like about it. Otherwise, we're going to be here until 7 a.m. Um, uh, it's a great movie to talk about. It is 7 a.m. I'm going to toss it over to uh, Mocha, Blue, and Brylin. Guys, tell me some things that really didn't quite make this uh, movie perfect. And something you just weren't... Uh, Digging. All right, all at one time. Three, two, one. Oh my god! 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 Oh my god. <laughs> Bad stuff. No, I would say, um, I would say, uh, I actually expected more out of Michael B. Jordan. He does have probably the best moment in this movie, but I think for a lot of times, I felt like the Killmonger character was very one note. Even though you brought up some really good points of where. He's deeper than what you see on the screen. Um, I just felt like there were at times that he could have been a little bit more dynamic in what who Killmonger is as a character. Um, and my other big one would be Ron, that. Uh, Ron, yeah, I would ahead. agree with you. I just before you go on, I want to agree with you. I think that arguably when your main character dies and is out of the movie for 10 to 15 minutes, uh, you might not be the main character. And I think that they could have made Killmonger the main character. It, it, I would have loved to have seen more scenes of him actually experiencing those oppression moments in Oakland and have him grow up and have him go to Wakanda or try and figure out how to get into Wakanda, have him, have him figure out his yeah. heritage. We never really got the moment where... He kind of pulls his, his lip down and shows off he is, you know, he's part of Wakanda. But, like, we never had that moment of him figuring out that that's truly who he was. And I would have loved to have seen that. I think this movie was... Yeah. Killmonger was the main character. Like, it was about or, the rise and fall of that character. And I would have loved to have seen more. Or show even, like, his dad tattooing his lip. And yeah. see what that was like. That bit, that simple moment would have been added a lot more to who his character was, and that adds on to uh, another criticism I have is I felt like there needed to be more peril when T'Challa was taken out of action. Uh, yeah, Killmonger sitting on the throne and saying, "Let's send weapons everywhere to the underprivileged." Um, that's a, uh, I mean, that's his plan. That's his mission. 
But how is it affecting Wakanda at that moment? We don't see the impact on the general Wakandan populace on Killmonger becoming king. And so that would have been interesting to see as well. And as being a big nerd and everything, I would love more techie stuff about the technology. Like, how does vibranium heal a spine? It's just like, oh, we just healed it with vibranium. Let's move on. Or here's some beads for you. Let's move on. And that could be grasping at straw. I mean, that could be nitpicking. But, I mean, if I, if you have this amazing character you create, Shiri, that's uh, super nerd, like super smart, technolo- technologically savvy, and is able to invent these crazy contraptions, I'd like to have her, have her like kind of explain some of these things as well. I think we're going to get that information a bit later. I think it's supposed to be like, is there mysticism that we're not supposed to understand? Uh, the Mind Stone and things like that. Because we know that this information is th- like this uh, vibranium is coming from the stone. That's accepted, right? Um, yeah, it's coming from this nope. meteor that crashed thousands of years. Did two separate things? Yeah. Oh, shit. All right. Well, isn't the soul stone? The soul stone is no. the remaining. It's remaining Infinity Stone. It's still debatable as to where it is, though. I fully believe that the soul stone is going to be in Wakanda. Um, however, the vibranium and all that's affecting the environment come from the chunk of vibranium that hit the Earth several uh, millennia ago. Uh, so, uh, so we talked about you know some criticisms that didn't quite work. I know I talked about the script. I know I talked, we talked about kind of Killmonger. There were things in which, uh, Brylin, you had even mentioned the fact that Killmonger's kind of acting, felt like it was kind of phoning in a little bit. Do you want to uh, elaborate on that a little bit? Uh, I did, but uh, I'll continue. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I felt uh, that uh, Michael B. Jordan, he's an incredible actor that can do a lot with the role. And I wanted to see him bring that acting magic to, that he always does. To his roles, um, he has great moments in this movie, but I think more that like a lot of times when he's just interacting with like Claw or uh, when he's uh, just walking around in the throne room or um, I felt like the when he's in the uh, when he's in the scene where the um, where the magic herb is and he says it just burn it all. I mean, it sound, it's, comes over like very just generic uh, when he does, when he actually is uh, performing that. Yeah, where does the flower come from? Is the flower part of the? Uh, well, they were talking about how vibranium actually affected the things, uh, right? The nature around it, yeah. and that was one of the products. So what I'm saying is, like, when you harvest that, but they do they only harvest in that one area? Are they gonna find like a different section of it, like? So I think I think the implication is that that underground temple is very close to the mound of vibranium, and the heart shape there probably grew there because of its proximity. Mm. Oh, wow. That's cool. So, um, any other uh, criticisms? I have a um, maybe a couple more, but we were talking about it. Yeah, yeah. really, really short. Um, the fight scenes weren't that good for me. Yeah, like there, there were like. Specifically, the last one in the train, it felt a little weak. Well, I would say this: you, and it's and it's not a. I I like the movie so much that that doesn't tilt the scale at, at all. Mm-hmm. But in the in in this you know 
18, 20 movies that we already had. There's so many good fight scenes um, that I'm kind of missing the Black Panther from Civil War. Like, this, the Black Panther from Civil War looks totally and absolutely different for me. I, I haven't, I only seen Civil War once, and my, what, how I remember, dude, yeah, sorry. Um, what I remember of uh, Black Panther in Civil War, this character felt weaker, and the fight scenes weren't that good. So like he can go to toe with fucking. I would actually reverse that and say like the beginning fight scenes weren't that good, like the one that was in complete darkness where you couldn't see what he was doing. That wasn't really that good, but they got better over time. And that last battle where you see the fucking war rhinos, which are fucking amazing. I mean, that was an awesome fight. Well, that was a good fight scene, but that wasn't a good Black Panther fight scene. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I, like think the Guillermo's, I think Guillermo's talking about the one-on-one versus Killmonger. And I'll, honestly, I'll agree with you. I think that he was way better shown off in Civil War. He had arguably the greatest one-liner uh, towards Clint Barton saying, I don't care. Like, while <laughs> he was just taking dome shots, you know, like with the with the arrows. Like, he was, he was a way better combat uh, person in Civil War than he ever was in his own did, movie. Did Which he go to the, against Captain America and Iron Man pretty much? Am I remembering that? Or no. Yeah, that wasn't him. That was Bucky who did that. They, they, well, also, they also didn't really rec- uh, reference the end scene of that movie. Like, with the whole vengeance has consumed you. I thought they would build off that more. They gave a little bit of a scene in the beginning, right? That says that he's learned from this by him sitting down. But he was also heading to a mission, so... Yeah, it's of. also... But you got, you got to remember, too, that the, at that in this film, by the time he comes back into it, after his second visit to Spiritland, he is entirely preoccupied with correcting the sins of his father. That Because it, it was like this shocking revelation that completely fucked his mind over. And so that was the only thing on his mind. Like, nothing else... With Sokovia, nothing else with the world, uh, the World Security Council, like nothing else mattered in his mind except for writing his father's wrongs. Yeah, right. It, it's Moki, you're not wrong there. I think that it did become very narrow at the end with T'Challa's motivations. Uh, I would have liked to have seen it more. And again, like I said before, I, I think it was really Killmonger's movie, um, and that T'Challa really took a backseat. To well, I guess you could say his his the women around him and Killmonger like he was completely a tertiary character uh, comparatively. Tertiary, good word. Um, the only things that I would want to add is just two. Um, I'm not sure why they cast Martin Freeman, who's a British actor, in an American role of Ross. I think that's kind of weird, and that goes back to a separate movie. I just don't know why they did it. It just still looks it. It feels weird to me because I know that he talks to the British accent and his American accent accent is not the best. Do you feel that same way about Tom Holland as Spider Man? I did. Hmm. He yeah. does a good Queen's accent, so Tom Holland's not a very good actor, but that's a whole different conversation, please. Oh, let's, wow. not, let's not get into that one. Let's bring you- back our Spider Man homecoming podcast. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> let's not do that. Um but so I thought that was kind of strange. The other thing that I was kind of bummed about is that I think I think Marvel took the easy way out of, you know, if I'm the protagonist, 
and I lose once. If I just really want it, I, I really want it good enough. I just have the, the will to want to, to, to achieve and to, to have my success. I'm going to absolutely get the success that I want because I want it more. With no additional training, nothing that you've worked at, you've then got it more. The, the, the thing I'm talking about getting it more was he was able to then defeat Eric in the second battle. Somehow, like he used some some skills up to disable the actual suit and disable the vibranium on their suits. I get that, but is there a science or is there something that you knew? There's a practice behind the fact that maybe you show me if it's a visual representation of showing me that the suit covers the heart area or the chest area last, or something that you're telling me why that sword is able to penetrate the suit. But the fact so, that I just really wanted it more than you did at the time. I think if that, I can play too easy. No, go ahead, Logan. I just want to play a little devil's advocate here because I do agree with you. Let me make that clear. Uh, clear at the start of this, Warren, that it did feel a bit easy in that sense. However, I do think that it was justified because I don't think at any point was Killmonger a better hand-to-hand -hand fighter than T'Challa. I don't think that. Like, hear me out. I don't think that's the case at all. What I do think is that when T'Challa had to face Killmonger for the first time, he was doing so immediately after disappointing his country and like 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 failing with the mission to bring back Claw, being betrayed by his first in command in Wakombe, by having to deal with the revelation of having found out that his father and all the kings that came before him were liars, not the great men that they thought, to having to deal with the fact that he has a brother that he has a cousin, a blood cousin that he never knew about that is filled with all this rage. Like his world was literally turned upside down, and he also had the Black Panther power taken from him, which is visually a trying experience. Like he's huffing and puffing after that happens. So I think that in that battle, he was the first fight, he was just completely overwhelmed at everything else. And when he came back, his resolve was steeled in the fact that he knew that it didn't matter that his parent that his father was a fucked up king. It was up to him to fix things. It was up to him to take over and make sure Wakanda had the right future. And so I think he was just in the right mindset in that second battle. I'm saying um, he had a lot on his mind when Killmonger challenged him. Yeah, a lot more than just having to fight with that guy. But I think that like just like T'Challa was a hands down better fighter than than Killmonger was at every point think, in that movie. I think they could have. I think they should have done a. I agree with everything you just said. I think that they should have made a better job of uh, showing how T'Challa was better with the Panther powers, and I think that would have explained a lot. Where. <laughs> Killmonger, he definitely was the better combatant because that's the only thing he had been raised for. Whereas I think Chachala, in at least based on his comic book history, has been raised for a whole bunch of things. You know, like he's one of the smartest men on the planet. He is an elite athlete, not only combats, you know, combat sports. Um, he's a diplomat, he's a politician. Right. I think so. you, I, you know, I think as far as the last fight scene goes, you probably. I think they should have made it like a more of a point that he was more in tune with the Panther Force, you know, if you will, if you want to call it that. The Bast like was, you know, in him. If you mm -hmm. if you want, Bast was in his corner. Right, exactly. Bast was all like, up in him. Like I think you could have made a better point on that and shown that he was able to draw from some deeper well of spirituality, and that would explain it because. All the evidence the movie gave, like, you're right, uh, Warren, I think that was saying this, uh, Killmonger should have won that fight, based on experience alone. Well, Jesse explained it to me the best, because we were eating after the movie, and I said, like, 
how do you keep up with everybody's power and everybody's skills and how do you know who's better, who's worse, who should win and all that? And she said, hey man, at the end of the day, it serves a purpose. It's how the writer wants to write them and they always win based on the technicality. And that's how comic books work, you know? How, how, how does, how, what were you saying? How, how is it that Batman can almost Batman always be Superman? Always like, be come Superman? On. It's because, it's because the writer, because yeah. of the technicality. Because DC sucks. Yeah, Superman is a douche. So, that's a lot of stuff that we talked about. Let's go into our overall thoughts. And say, uh, let me start with overall thoughts. I want to toss it over to Brylan. Thoughts about the movie. Thoughts about Black Panther. Uh, yeah, so this is definitely one of the best uh, movies Marvel's made. It gives a Winter Soldier run for its money as the best Marvel movie, I think. Um, and it's very important because it is about representing people that we usually don't see on screen. I would say as a white guy that grew up in a majority black city, a couple times I've seen this actually happen. One was coming to America where my family was the only white family in the audience during that time. And everybody had a great time seeing that movie. And the other time was Blade, where people would buy tickets for other movies and come in and sit in the aisles so they could actually see the movie. Mm-hmm. And it's that's the drive that behind this movie is that it's important to see because it's some it's people that you don't see on the screen in these main roles all the time. Yeah, Mocha. This movie was fantastic. Um, it's. As, as Brian said, it's easily one of Marvel's best films to date, um, but I, it can't be understated how important of a cultural event this is. Um, and I'm really grateful that I was able to see comic book films taken to this sort of level. Um, it's also pretty clear to me now more than ever, and I feel like this is the case for a lot of people, even if you are a fan of them, DC, the DCEU can't catch up. You know, like Marvel is at a point in its in its movie making history where they're a decade in and they are literally sh- shifting cultural norms and creating watershed moments. And it's just like the race is, is too far gone. Um, but I'm really excited and proud that to see Marvel empowering creative forces that can really tell dynamic stories like this. Um, so I'm excited to see what else is coming from them in the future. Yeah, and I think it would be, I mean, it would not be in DC's best interest to try to compete with Marvel. Just be DC. Exactly. Stop trying to like force yourself into an into an Avengers Infinity War situation when you've only had a DCU going for like four years. Like take your time, do your thing. We want to see good DC movies. What? Yeah, I think it speaks volumes that um, I think that I agree with both of you guys that I think this is one of the best Marvels put out. Um, to me, it doesn't quite touch the the holy trinity of Guardians and Winter Soldier and Civil War, but it's a story for a different time. Um, someone raised a good point earlier that I was talking about this, that Marvel has come to a situation that it's no longer a, was this movie good? It was, what did it do for you individually? Like, their movies are all good. Even the ones that are mediocre are still better than most other movies. Like, I'd still watch Thor 2 over a lot of different things. Um, Yeah, oh yeah. You put any of the prequels from Star Wars, I'm watching... Thor 2. Gross. Uh, yeah. um, but, and, and so it really becomes, what does this movie mean to you? And the, as Mocha, I think, said, and Bronson said too, like, the representation in Black Panther means so much to so many different people. 
whether it be African-Americans, uh, folks from Africa itself, or just women in general, like that's important and we should celebrate that fact. Uh, I would, yeah, no, I, I loved it. I went in with no expectations because I think I might have seen the trailer once before going into the movie. Um, but the, the, the set design, the costumes, everything got together for me. All the acting was tremendous. Um, and I think, honestly, I hope this just seals it for the DC fanboys who are just kind of very stubborn thinking that still saying like Justice League is going to be a better movie or is a better movie and you know they've attacked the score on Rotten Tomatoes they've attacked the score on Indiva and I think it's so silly like it is a friendly competition it's the end of the day it's like Marvel versus DC no it's comic books we're all comic book fans they're yeah. movies we can like but we don't have to but uh no Black Panther is the epitome of Marvel like I probably had read maybe like not even a handful of Black Panther comics going into this movie and coming out of it, like I told you, like I was reading the ones that I had read before and now this afternoon I've read even more. I have Marvel Unlimited, so I've been breezing through it. It's amazing, you know, catching up on this character who's been around for years, but I never had an interest in I sort of did the same thing with Thor, even though he's like a mainstay character. I never read much on him, but like, you know, the books are great, the movies are great. But these movies in general, between the last few, like Doctor Strange, Thor Ragnarok, and this one, they're just getting this like, they're beautiful to see. It could just be a movie that's about, you know, like, I, it could be a shitty plot, and I would still enjoy these movies because they're just gorgeous to look at. And that's what I'm excited to see, and it's getting me more excited to see more of Wakanda in Infinity War. For sure. Like, honestly, I hope uh, Thanos gets taken out by a war rhino. I hope that's how they wrap it up. <laughs> you never know. Just punches a war rhino in the face. Uh, memo. Um, I really, really liked it. I think it's... Uh, for me, uh, kind of like what Mike was saying, that at this point, all of the Marvel movies, you can carve your own niche between them and see like, oh, I like this style of movie, or I like this character, or I watch it for this particular purpose. And you can seek out what you like, because they're all fantastic movies. Um, but yeah, to me, this is a little bit more back to uh, back to form. I. The last three movies weren't my thing, so I didn't really particularly found my style. Guardians to Thor three and uh, uh, Doctor Strange. So I think this one is a little bit back to form, um, and it's and like I said, it's in, it's good in any of the layers that you want to take on it. And I mean, even if you want to see like cinematography, like what we're, like what we're saying right now. The, that cinematography rivals anything that we have seen in the last like couple months, like Dunkirk, Blue, uh, Blade Runner. Like the way that they were built and the way that the world was built uh, is phenomenal. Uh, and I, I really, really liked it. And it's to a point where even the things that I didn't like, they didn't make, they didn't take away from the from the movie itself. So. Um, and it's and kind of like, I, I don't I think it was Mike was saying that it's, you know, fuck it, it's a comic book movie, but it's talking about these things that are important. And if that makes it easily digestible to people and gets the conversation going, I'll take it, fuck it, do it. Like, it doesn't have to be, you know, uh, a, a super deep thought out movie. If it, if it presents something in a way that it's understandable and relatable, that way, you know, let's let's get the ball rolling. Um, 
I just, I would hate for the universe to end. Like, I don't want it to end. I want, I want them to keep making movies and exploring all these themes and all that, you know? It's going to end. It has to. I know, yeah. but it, it, it would be cool if it doesn't. Fair enough. Jesse? Um, I think one thing that I, I read about a lot on the internet is superhero fatigue. And after seeing this movie, like, I'm honestly nowhere close to superhero fatigue. Like, I really love, I love this movie. I would consider it, like, on the top five of the Marvel franchise and reading through the names again right now. And I think what Marvel has really accomplished is, like, they put out anything, and I'm going to pay for that movie ticket. I'm actually taking a page out of your book, and I haven't watched any of the trailers for Infinity War because I know I'm going to go see it. Like, I'm guaranteed I'm going to get my butt in that seat. Yeah. And it's going to be probably one of the maybe five to ten theatrical movies I see that year. And after seeing this, it just solidifies that for me. That it is, like, Black Panther, again, it's just a great series. And, like, I think it's even getting better that they're starting to, like, embrace color, like, in terms of, like, you know, oranges and blues and purples and greens. And, like, it makes it look like a comic book. And it just looks gorgeous. And you've got now social commentaries and, like, interesting characters. And and I, it just makes me happy because I, I'd like to think, like, oh, they're finishing up Phase 3. And I hope that they they can find a way to say reboot this universe into like a phase one all over again, because they've learned so much from making these that I feel like they, you can only go up on it. And I'm, I'm definitely sold and I'm all, I'm all, all trains ahead on this one. Yeah. I mean, it's nice. And um, I'm, I will say like my lasting thoughts would be, this is definitely um, my favorite Marvel film. This is definitely, it has taken like number one. That's taking the top spot. Uh, and we talked about the social commentary. We talked about how important it was. But, you know, not to retread on any, anything that we've talked said before, I'm just really excited. And I think one of the things that made me the most excited is that we finally got a chance to see Andy Serkis and Lupita, Lupita Naga, like, flex their acting chops and not be behind some fucking CG. Yeah. And that's that's what that that really was important because Andy Serkis was oh, he was out there, but he did his thing and I'm like man, he's really meant for us to fucking hate. He has a fucking mixtape on SoundCloud, right? Um, <laughs> but you you see that, but it, like the Lupita like absolutely like fucking crushed this role, arguably like the unsung MVP, but you know, arguably any woman character would be the unsung MVP of this movie. Um, I mean, if you want to see how amazing of an actor Andy Serkis is, just this accent he created for this movie. He's playing a character that's South African of Dutch descent, that's speaking English, which is not his native tongue. Afrikaans is his native tongue. And to blend all that together, that's fucking amazing. Dude, solid. And I think that's like the biggest thing that I will take away from this movie is at least go see this movie just to see them in a non-CG character. Um, that's awesome. You'll thoroughly love them. And then go back and look at all their films and look at all their other works because you'll see, you'll definitely get a deeper appreciation for who they are and why you want to go to the cinema more. And with that, we are the Down Front Podcast. I want to thank everybody. Everybody for hanging out with us so much. For everybody. So er, everybody in the club getting drunk. Uh, I guess tipsy. <laughs> <laughs> ha, ha, ha. 
Brylon, where can you find more of your work? Uh, you can find Thick Daddy and Bryland on Twitter at Bryland, B-R-I-L-U-N-D. Um, I'm also on Instagram, I am Bryland, where I'll put up uh, many movie reviews from time to time. And when I'm not in California, I'm usually the host of the Gamescast, twitch.tv slash downerfrontpodcast. Uh, Warren and Abbott keep on monster hunting. I want to definitely check it out. Thanks so much. Me and Abbott's going to get on that at some point. We, um... We go for like a few hours, so I think those videos are going to be very long, but we'll definitely see if we can get out and do that. Mocha, where can you find more of your work? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter posting explicit videos of me playing with my vibranium vibrator at MochaMikeLI. Um, unfortunately, you can't find me at MochaMike because the person who has that stole the name um, and died. And now he's just stuck in the spirit world probably in some dark basement somewhere with no friends, no family, just my fucking Twitter name. <laughs> no um, ancestors are visiting him. I will not. I will visit him in the spirit realm just to get my fucking vid- uh, name out. But uh, aside from that, you can see me on Instagram where I post a lot of my photography work, Instagram.com slash MochaMike, as well as Medium, uh, Medium.com slash at MochaMike, where I write longer form reviews of what you, we talk about here. Uh, blew it. The Shredder. Where can you find more your work? And what shows you got coming up? Uh, uh, none. Uh, we've been wicked lazy, and uh, you know that's how life is. Uh, perpetually, we have an EP coming out sometime. Whenever we get around to uh, finishing it, um, eventually. Uh, if you want to reach out to us in particular, though, you can find us at uh, Jesse Rand is here uh, at ymail.com. Um, alternatively, because uh, that doesn't happen often, um, alternatively, Jesse Rand's isolationist strategy, aka I'm alone and depressed, at uh, gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a long, long string there, but you have to get all of it. aka <laughs> Jesse Rand is depressed, or uh, Jesse Rand is isolationist strategy, aka yeah. I'm very depressed at ymail.com. Pretty sure Fine. I said like 19 things there, but it's all right. Easy. It's very easy. They can do it. It's fine. They got it. Write us, please. We'll, we'll write back eventually. Write us. I'll post it mail. And I'm gonna, my uh, address is 304 Covert Avenue, apartment 4. 123 Fake Street. <laughs> that sounds about right. Ow! <laughs> I was guessing. I was like, oh, I don't know. Abbott, where can you find more of your work? The host of the Fear Boners. Uh, besides popping those Fear Boners, mm, uh, love it. you find me everywhere on the internet. I am the Abs Man. That's the two Bs. Uh, not because I have a sexy body, but because that's my name. Um, and yeah, you'll probably find me on the Monster Hunter servers because that's all I do now. <laughs> yeah, we're going to find out. We're going to find out. And I am Warren, um, the host, and uh, you can find uh, all of our work. Uh, I would say the first thing to say is uh, our, check out our website. We have literally everything of Instagram live reactions. We have all the amazing music that Blue spends so much time on for SoundCloud. Um, our, we have a Twitter account. We have the Friends of Blends. We have more information from Maya News. Check out our website, downtofrompodcast.com. Um, uh, it's pretty amazing. We have the uh, email, Twitter, everything you actually need there. Uh, for all of our Patreons, we want to say thank you so, so much. And sorry for Warren for slacking because I literally have three episodes I have queued up that I have not released to you. So, my bad. 
but for Patreons, thank you so much for everybody else who wants to support us. Downfrontpodcast.com slash Patreon. Like you can definitely kind of check that out. It's pretty amazing. Um, there's another website that redirects you, patreon.com slash downfrontpodcast. It's pretty awesome. Um, and we wanted to say thank you so much. Uh, thanks for hanging out so much. Please, please, please go watch this film. If you disagree with us for any reason, text us. Um, and if you agree with us for any reason, email us. Uh, that would be awesome. And let us know. We love you. Thank you so much. It's uh, 8 a.m. I actually have to work in 10 minutes. So, whoops. We love you. And we'll see you later. Bye. Wakanda forever. Wakanda forever.